I realize that there will be uh, some some people who would who would share a concern that we're not meeting today simply because Frozen 2 has come out and we don't want to compete with young adults. Uh, and then there'll be some who will say, the staff didn't want anybody here today so we could have first dibs on stealing all the toilet paper. But that's not true. It's just out of an abundance of caution. Uh, with John Wesley's rules to the church began with this, don't do any harm. Don't do any harm. And so that's why we're not meeting today in the sanctuary. And it may be that we do that for another week or two, and we'll communicate with you as quickly as we can about the decisions we make on that. But this morning, we want to turn our attention to the cross and to Jesus Christ. Uh, there is no better person to go to, no better subject to address than the cross. And we began a new Lenten series a few weeks ago looking at why did Jesus die. John Piper actually wrote a book 50 reasons why Jesus died. This is a subject we will probably talk about for eternity. All that was gifted to us and won for us in the cross. Um, Christian author Erwin Lutzer says it this way, Buddhism could survive without Buddha. Islam could have had another prophet to give revelation from God. But there is no church, no Christianity without the cross. And so we simply want to glory in the cross Today, With all that's before us and on us, we turn to the cross. Two weeks ago, we talked about different theories about the cross. Substitutionary atonement, uh, legal categories about the cross, the satisfaction theory about Jesus. And usually that's all we hear in the South about the cross. But there's so much more. Now, there's something very right about what we talked about two weeks ago. That's a needed word. What do we do with our guilt? What do we do with our sin? I was a student minister for 13 years, and I, just out of college, was asked to, with a friend to, to lead a, a Christian retreat for senior highs through our annual conference. And we were excited. We got to lead all the small group materials. We got to pull together all the activities for that weekend, and we got to pick the speaker. And we picked, at that time, uh, the, the, the leader of the largest Wesley Foundation in the country. And in one of his sermons during that time with those senior high students, in passing, he happened to mention hell, the place of hell. He wasn't preaching about it, he wasn't emphasizing it, but just happened to name it as a place. Following that sermon, I was pulled aside with the other leader, and we were told by another pastor, if we ever mentioned that place again and tried to guilt students into a response to Jesus Christ, we would never get to work in student ministry uh, events ever in a leadership level. We went back to the pastor who was leading and we said, hey, here's what they said, that you know, you might be making people feel guilty if you use that word or talk about that. That wasn't our intention. Our intention was to encourage people in Christ, but that's part of the gospel story. So after talking together for several minutes and praying together, uh, that speaker came out to the next session and said, listen, I understand that I mentioned a place and maybe you felt guilty because I had said that. Let me, let me be very clear with you. You are guilty. And he gave one of the most beautiful expositions of the gospel I had ever heard. And it, and it comes to the heart of what Peter's trying to say to a people who are about to be in suffering. God wants you back. Yes, we are covered in our guilt and in our sin, but God loves us so much he won't leave us that way. And so we're going to look at two different theories or ideas, and there's so much more to cover 
But here in this passage, and we'll start with the last passage first, we see something of the theory or the idea of God's moral governance. It says in verse 22 that Christ, the authorities and powers have all been made subject to Christ. Really, chapters 2 and 3 are about submission. Submission in the workplace, submission to government, submission in relationships, and then this closing section, submission uh, in all areas of life, and then lastly here, really, ultimately, submission to Jesus Christ. The moral governance theory basically says this, that God, by definition, must govern the universe with righteousness. He must uphold the moral order of the universe. So sin cannot go unpunished. It can't be swept under the rug, or the real, there is no real order to the universe. God's government has to be maintained. So we have here in verse 18 that a righteous one suffers righteously, the just for the unjust. And if that doesn't happen, then God is not a good governor because sin is a small matter. And that's a real issue in our culture today. Sin is so small. But we see in the cross the horrific consequences of sin. We see that love incarnate, beauty incarnate, innocence incarnate was killed and was slaughtered. That's the moral governance theory, that view of atonement that says the cross, partly, it's not all of why he died, but through his death and resurrection, he is now at, right, at God's right hand. And I love how Peter has to bring this up two different times in ch chapter 15. And so to him be dominion forever and ever. Christ is over all. Now, if you get down to verse 19, who does he preach to? Who are those spirits? You're going to have to buy me a cup of coffee for that. We'll go talk about that uh, someday. We don't have time this morning. I would just want us to look at the cross. And here's a reminder for Peter, for people who are about to be suffering for their faith, to say to them, God's a good God. And he knows your suffering and he also knows your sin. And he has given you one who is just to die for you who are un just and you can rest in that and know that you have victory over all the powers and evil of this universe because Christ is on the throne all evil all authorities all powers are under him and so comes the question for us this morning how is that true in my life if all authorities are now subject to him because what he has done for us in his death and resurrection when I bump into that passage and I say yes they are all under him how is it that I am under his governance? Am I simply just resigned to that? Or is there an expectation and a willingness to put my life under the cross and under the authority of the cross bearer? One of my wife's favorite authors is Elizabeth Elliot. She's one of my wife's heroes. And in her writing, she says these words. Now, Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, her husband was killed taking the gospel uh, to a, an unreached tribe in South America. Here's what she says. Resignation is surrender to fate. Acceptance is surrender to God. Resignation lies down quietly in an empty universe. Acceptance rises up to meet the God who fills that universe with purpose and destiny. Resignation says it's all over for me. Acceptance says... Now that I'm here, Lord, what's next? Resignation says, what a waste. Acceptance says, in what redemptive way can you use this mess, Lord? Elizabeth Elliot knew about mess. Losing a husband for the gospel. 
raising children by herself for the gospel, having to forgive a tribe that slaughtered her husband, to see them come to Christ, to give up that bitterness and to give up that right to be angry and say, Lord, you can have it and see God's redemptive hand. She knew about mess. In what redemptive way can you use this mess, Lord? In some ways, we're in a mess. It's an anxious time. Lord, in what redemptive way can you use this mess? How does the cross need to speak to you today? Whatever anxiety you have, or if there's a rebelliousness in your life where you're not submitting to the, to the will and to the authority of Christ, First Peter says to us today, he's on the throne. Whether it's anxiety or whether it's wandering, Christ is on the throne. Hear that word today. But there's a second word, a second reminder about why the cross. And it's this word reconciliation. And it's really our first verse in verse 18. It's the underlying basis for the cross. First and foremost, God just wanted his people back. I had heard a famed preacher had preached at one of the college passion events. And he had got up and proclaimed that Jesus Christ had died for his father. There's something very Right in John's gospel, we see over and over again that Jesus only speaks what the Father says. He only wants what the Father wills. He only wants to do the work that his Father would have him do. But that's not the whole story. And I'm told that another preacher got up right after that preacher and said, let me be very clear with you. God wants you. He died for you. Yes, he has to deal with Sin, but he wants us. I've said before, the first two questions in Scripture are from God. And they're from God looking at Adam and Eve and God looking at Cain, and he's asking relational questions. He's not asking, what did you do? He's asking, where did you go? The space between is the first concern in the heart of God. And there is space. We talked about that last week as we walked down the Roman road, Romans 3.23 or Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is separation. Simon and Chana Taub definitely know about separation because both of them in their response to a court order about their divorce had said that the house is mine and they wouldn't let it go. And so the court of New York City... um, granted them that wish, and they each got a part of the house. And they instituted by a court order that a wall just be built through the middle of the house. So for the man to be able to get to the dining room, he had to go out, or actually outside, up a neighbor's stairs outside their apartment building, uh, and had to go into a window to get into the dining room. But he didn't care, because on his side of the wall was the heat and cooling uh, thermostat. Separation. God came that we didn't have to be separated from him anymore. Jesus Christ died to bring us back to God. And here's part of that good news. Paul ends up saying to the church in Corinth, not only has God reconciled us, but church, he's given us that ministry of reconciliation. Not only did he die to bring us back, but you and I get to wrap, get wrapped up in then that ministry where it's not just about 
So many times it can happen for me and maybe for you. It's just me and Jesus, me growing in Jesus, or my family in Jesus, my church in Jesus. But what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18 is, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's a great reminder to us that God wanted us so much that he gave his only begotten son so that he might win us back. And he gave us all, not just part, but all, the just dying for the unjust. Eddie Fox, an evangelist in the United Methodist Church, uh, told me a story when I got to meet with him in 2011 at a luncheon. He was talking about going over to Bulgaria, and at that time, uh, it was right after 9-11, and he talked about this was one of the few churches that remained open as an underground church during communism. They had suffered greatly for the kingdom of God. And having visited that church just after 9-11, when he showed up, they were very glad to see him. But they said, another reason we're glad to see you is we wanted to share an offering with you. We had taken an offering right after 9-11 for our brothers and sisters in America, but we couldn't send it because to send it would cost more than the offering itself. $2.50. $2.50 to bless the church in America. Now, before we scoff at that, their, their weekly offering at their church at that time was about 40 cents. Five plus weeks of offerings just for America. In a church that had been on the ground, had been under the thumb of communism and threat for years, but when they heard what had happened to us, five weeks of offerings were sent for America. They gave as much as they could, even with the goodness of that gift. We're reminded from Paul that Jesus Christ made himself nothing. He gave all, as Hebrews would say, once for us. It's a great word for us today. Not only can we trust him because he's on the throne, but just to see the heart of God, he desires for us to come back. So much so that he gave his begotten son for us. Now listen, there's one other word here that we can't miss. Sometimes we stop reading at the end of chapters. We do that with our daily Bible reading, and I understand that. But the chapters in the Bible really weren't there till about the Middle Ages. Sometimes we like to section things off. This is chapter 3. But really, it's just a letter that was written. And so you need to read the next sentence to understand the context. And in chapter 4, verse 1, there's a therefore. Because of this great gift to us, one who was just, who was given for the unjust. Because of that, all of a sudden there are all these implications. There are all these imperatives for what we are to be. And let me just say, First Peter does not pull any punches with this. Because of what Christ has gifted to us, you see him say here, Christ has suffered in the flesh, and so right, right out of the gate he says, stop sinning in the flesh. Make sure uh, uh, you stay away from, and he just na names these things drunkenness, sensuality, idolatries. Christ died in the flesh, so you stop sinning in the flesh. And then he adds a very tough word because there's going to be an account to give someday. So, pray. Pray. Love each other deeply. Be hospitable to one another. Don't, don't have any grumbling amongst yourselves serve each other well suffer well and do good why going back to our passages today because christ gave himself for us he suffered for our sins once for all
That's our prayer today. That because of his goodness to us, that would be our response. Lord, whatever in my life needs to cease for the glory of the one who gave himself for me, one who was unjust, let it cease. Whatever needs to maybe start in my life, more prayer, more doing good, more serving the community, whatever that may be, let me respond in that way. But also let's respond to the cross this morning. That even in our anxiety and in a time where we can be unsettled, we can know, as First Peter has told the church, Jesus Christ is on the throne. All things are at his feet, and we can trust him because he is a good governor who gave his life for us. And his deep desire is that we come to himself. He has come, he has given himself on the cross that you and I might be brought back to God. Praise be to Jesus Christ for that. Let's pray about that. Lord, it is our prayer this morning that your Holy Spirit would bless our response to this, your word. That however, however you need to have your will and way in our lives to, to help us see the things in our lives that are not pleasing to you. As First Peter mentions several by name, Father, help us to turn from those sins. Father, if there are things we have not been about, we have not been hospitable to one another, we have not served each other well, we have just not loved deeply in response to the love that you shared with us on your cross. Father, we repent of that, and we commit ourselves to that anew. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you loved us so much and wanted us back, that you gifted us, your son Jesus Christ. How is it that you would call each of us to that ministry of reconciliation? To pull us out of our comfort zones, to see people as you see them, as people that you want to come home. Put that burden on our hearts. Give us eyes to see like you see. Give us that ministry, we pray, of reconciliation. And then lastly, in this season and in this time, settle our hearts. Help us to trust in the power of the cross and in the authority of Jesus Christ, who is above every power, and to him be dominion forever and ever. And it is in his name that we pray for his glory. Amen.